Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we can come together to look at your word. I pray that we have fresh eyes to see today what you have for us to see. I pray that we would not close our mind, but we would be open to hear what the truth of your word says. We thank you for the story in which we are about to look at. We thank you that you are sovereign over all things. May we, as an individual, as a congregation, may we see the truth of this. May we be in awe of you today. May we see you in your fullness. May we see you in all your glory and might. May we submit to that and live for you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Last week, we heard J.D. speak about how Jesus had power over nature. You know, for many of us, this is a familiar story in which we have heard before. In fact, some of you may have heard it in Sunday school. I also would imagine that you've heard this story as well about Jesus casting out the demons of the man who was oppressed by them. You see, this is one of the challenges we have today. As we've been in the church, some of us, for many years, we say to ourselves, I remember that story. I know that. I've heard that before. I want to challenge you today not to zone out that you would see afresh the story we're about to look at. I want you, in fact, to put yourself into the story. Step into it. What was it like that evening on the scene? Jesus has just spent the day teaching as he shared the parable of the sower and the seed. He talked about the lamp as is not to be put under a basket. He shared about the kingdom of God was like a man who scattered the seeds. He sleeps night after night. And then the harvest comes, not because of what he had done, as he only planted the seed. He also talked about the mustard seed. Although it, although it is a very small seed, it grows to be a large very large tree, and many birds rest in it, making it their nest, giving us a picture of what the church would be. Again, he had a long day. He's been sitting in the boat in the middle of the heat of the sun beating down upon him. He is extremely tired. He tells his disciples, let us go to the other side. Jesus climbs, he's already in the boat, he finds a cushion in the stern, and he sits down, and he falls asleep. The disciples begin to work together to hoist the sail as they are pull, pulling away from the shore. For many of them, this was just another evening on the water, as some of them were professional fishermen before they met and followed Jesus. But that evening, a great windstorm became, came up and began beating on the boat. It says that the water began to fill the boat. The disciples were desperately trying to get this, 
the sail down. As the wind kept pushing against the boat, water was filling the boat, the mass began to bend. The disciples were worried. Will the sail rip in half? Will the mass break? Will we drown here at sea? They are afraid. Although they have been on this water many times, over and over again, fishing night after night before meeting Jesus. But here they are, professional fishermen, now afraid. In fact, terrified. So they look around, says, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Thinking that, isn't he going to help us? They find him sleeping on a cushion in the stern. They wake him up and say, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to perish? Jesus gets up from his cushion, looks at the waves, the wind, and he commands it to be still. Think about this. The disciples standing in the boat, filled with water. They're soaking wet. They're cold. They look at the mass. There's no wind. They look at the mass that was bending before. It's no longer bending. They look at the water, and it is flat. Now they're really terrified. Who is this man that can even calm the wind and the sea? And they are terrified. Moments ago, they are about to die. But now there's just calmness. And they don't know what to do with that. And you see, our story today picks up Right after that. So here we are. We get to the other side. We've had a traumatic night. Terrified, thinking that we're about to die. We are cold, we are wet. And what do we come into? What do we now face? Here's my proposition for this evening, for this morning. Jesus' sovereignty over nature and demons causes great fear for those who witness his power. You see, in verse 5, it says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gezerines. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately... Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains. For he had often been bound and shackled and chains with chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him night after day. Night and day among the tombs on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself 
with stones. And when, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he fell and he ran and fell down before him. Imagine for a moment the disciples has made it to the other side, but they are, are, they are still shaken up and frightened by what had just taken place on this scene. They are shivering because they are cold and wet. They tie off the boat and begin moving in towards the land. But before they are able to get their bearings, they look up and hear a loud noise. A naked man is running towards them, screaming. Could they be saying to themselves, where are we? And who is this crazy man? What would be going through your mind as if you had to come through this dramatic night? And you now have a naked man whose body shows the signs of cuts and dried blood caked on him, yelling and running towards you. What might his expression look like? But what about this man? Our pastor says he lived among the tombs who had an unclean spirit. Although he had been shackled with chains, but he was able to break free. And then, and then there was no one who was able to subdue him. First Vive tells us, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Can you imagine the pain and anguish this man has gone through? Isolated from his community, his family, his friends, living among the tombs. Yet it says, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Verse 7 tells us, and crying out with a loud, a loud voice, he said, What have you do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion. For we are many, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Gregory Grogan, in his commentary, said, This man's reaction to Jesus was clearly a mixture of attraction and fear. And this reflects the fact that he was demon-possessed. On one side of his reaction, he shows in a deep sense a need and in the fact that he ran to Jesus. Because he recognized who he was, he fell to his knees and addressed him as a son of God. The other side reveals himself in the fact that he did not speak the name and title of Jesus, but yelled it out of the top of his voice. You see, on the human side, this man was looking for pain from his torment. 
Again, we do not know how long he was in this position, how long he lived in the tombs, but he wanted relief. Up to this time, he has not found relief. All they would do was chain him and tie him down. So he ran to Jesus. But after he got to Jesus, it was the demons that spoke up as they said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? You see, the demons understood to whom they were subject to. They began begging Jesus not to send them away from the country. As we look at the parallel passages in Luke, um, 831, Luke says, Begin begging him not to command them to depart into the abyss. So they know that one day they would go to the abyss, that they would be punished. In Matthew's account, we see and understand that the demons understood, as they said, as he wrote, you have come to torment us before the time. That's in Matthew 8, 20, 29. You see, the demons understood that they only have a limited time and they will be punished. Oh, they, although they are um, causing havoc on this man and havoc on this town, this city, they understood that there is only for a period of time that they are allowed to do this, that one day they will have to give an account by God Almighty. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion. He says, for we are many. The term legion is based on the Roman army division that could be from 4,000 to 6,000 men. It could also be used for a battalion, which is numbered to 2,048. Were there that many demons in him? Or was it more to the point, the fact that there were many? We do not know. But we know that this individual was tormented night after night as he cut himself because the anguish that was within him. Can you imagine the turmoil this man had gone through? The separation from his community, his family and friends. Could some of the choices he made over the years have contributed to his present situation? Again, put yourself in the man's shoes. How would you feel if this was you? When I was a young man in my early teens, my dad told me a story he experienced in our convalescent home. At one time, my dad desired to have a drug and alcohol recovery treatment downstairs in our convalescent hospital. And he had a, I'm not sure if it was a young man or older man that was in our facility at that time who was there to be detoxed from alcohol. He had a special diet that he had to be on because he was in our facility. 
And this man longed for, in fact, he wanted it so bad, he longed for bacon and eggs. And my dad had told him, you can't have that on your diet at this particular time because he had a special diet because of he was going through detox. But he wanted bacon and eggs. My dad said that the man prayed to Satan that he would have some bacon and eggs. My, said, my dad said that the young man or the man says, can you smell it? I can smell the bacon and the eggs. He looked at my dad and it's like, I can smell it. He was so excited, thinking he was going to get bacon and eggs. This man wanted bacon and eggs, and he was willing to give up his soul for the bacon and eggs. Many times we do not think of the desires and the consequences of the choices we make. What fame? Some of us want fame. Some of us want power. In Acts 19, verses 1 through 16. And I was thinking, you know, I haven't moved any slides. Sorry. We read the story about the sons of Sceva. It says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched the skins were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the interniate Jews, exorcists, undertook to, to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus for those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. This was the seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva who were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man to whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them. So they, were, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. You see, they just wanted the power to do so. They did not know Christ. They did not know, have a relationship with the God of the universe. They just wanted the power. And the demon leapt upon them. All seven of them overcame all of them. And they ran away naked. Wayne Grudem in his uh, Systematic Theology says... We should recognize that sinning, even by Christians, does give a foothold to some kinds of demonic influence in our lives. Thus, Paul could say, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Verse 
That's in Ephesians 4, 26. See, we don't realize but the choices in which we make. Are you allowing the devil to have a foothold in your life by the choices you make? John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Again, we don't always understand what our choices bring. We do not know about what the sins this man had achieved or done. We do not know what he may have done in his past, but we do know this. He was a sinner. For Romans 3.23 tells us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you are here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? That is you as well. All of us have sinned. But those of us who know Jesus Christ and live for him, we can rejoice in the fact that we are forgiven of our sins. I'm reminded of Psalms 32, verse 1 and 2. It tells us, blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. See, we understand for those who know Christ that it is the blood of Christ that has covered our sins, that has forgiven us and put us in right standing with God the Father. But guess what? You and I still have a responsibility. Yes, our sins are forgiven. Yes, we have freedom in Christ to live for him. But Colossians 3, 5, uh, Colossians 3, 5 tells us that we are to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. It is you who have to put those to death. It is you who has to resist that and not live according to the desires of your heart. But to resist that and put it to death. As you look at your life today, if there's sins that you continue to engage in, rather than putting those sins to death, I want to encourage you today, put it to death. Resist the evil one. Resist the one who desires to capture your soul. Who desires that you would spend eternity with him apart from Christ. That you would say no to the wiles of Satan. That you would fight for your soul. And that is only found and in one person. And that person is Christ. Today we look at the pigs. Verses 11 through 13. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, begged Jesus, send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, 
and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd numbered about 2,000. They rushed down the steep bank into the sea and was drowned in the sea. In Matthew's gospel, the location uh, that he lists in his gospel is the Gadarenes, where Mark and Luke called this location the Gerasenes. This took place in the territory of Decapolis. Uh, Gersa was just one of ten cities in the Decapolis, uh, which lay across um, the Jordan. Again, Jesus said, let us go to the other side. So it's on the other side of the Jordan. This was Gentile territory in which Jesus has just stepped into. It is not believed that this took place in the city of Gersa because Gersa lies 30 to 40 miles away from the water. It is believed that this took place in a, in a place called Gadara, which is six miles from the water. And it also has a deep gorge that falls into the sea. And again, remember the, when we first started out, it says that the demon or the man looked and saw Jesus. So again, it makes sense that he was close enough to see the water and look and he saw the boat coming. And so when he stepped on the boat, that he could see him. So it is believed that it took place in Gadara. As we look at the townsmen, the townspeople, he says, the herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country. And the people came to see um, what, what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man that no one had, um, that the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened. And the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from this region. Again, going back to the Gadarung, again, it makes sense that if the town people left and were able to tell the townspeople what has taken place, it would be very hard to run 30 to 40 miles and make it back in enough time to share that news. So they were close enough to run to in the country and to tell what had taken place. So imagine this, the townspeople see the man sitting with Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Think about it. They have tried to restrain this man. Could it be because he has caused havoc in the town? He has scared people as he moved through the town. I can imagine children terrified as they see this man. He is cut up. His face is cut. He is bleeding. He has no clothes on. And he's moving through the city, the town. And they are afraid. 
They know that they have tried to chain this man, but he has broken the chains. They tried to put clothes on him, but he would not have it. They have heard him night after night, crying, yelling, screaming throughout the night. And here he is, sitting calmly with clothes on. And they couldn't do it. They've tried to do this, but yet they have not had the power to do so. You see, I can imagine the townspeople says, let's get Billy and let's get Joel. We, you know, these are the strongest men in our town. We'll go and we'll take care of him. We'll restrain him. We'll tie him down. And they were not able to do so. And here he is, this man, sitting quietly with clothes on. And they are terrified. Who could do this? We've tried, but we couldn't do it. Why are they afraid? This town people has also come face to face with God. Because this man, Jesus, could do what they could not do. Just as he calmed the storm, and it's now calm. The devil. Disciples look up and they're like, who is this? Here the townspeople are. They too. Who is this man? They are terrified. It is important to know that there are some people who has had a problem with this particular story. Because why would Jesus sacrifice the pigs? Jeffrey Drogan, again, in his commentary says, this miracle has, has sometimes been criticized. It is true, of course, that every part of the universe, including animals, has value. For it is created by God. But human life is of the highest value. The reaction of the townspeople shows a wrong sense of value. We can be sure that it was motivated not by love of animals, but by concern about the lost source of income. You see, those who speak against Jesus in this particular miracle... They feel that Jesus should have saved the man and saved the pigs too. Why would he sacrifice the pigs? Didn't he care about the people in the town and their income? But see, we can have the wrong view of things and we can be only concerned about our pockets and what we can get. See, it's not much different in a world in which you and I live today. We are willing to kill millions of babies, sacrifice them out of convenience for the mother, out of convenience for someone else. 
Yes, we will save the whales. We will save the frogs. We will save the spotted owl and other animals. But do we think about the unborn child? It is not that we are so concerned about those things. We are more concerned about our pocketbook and what we're going to get out of it. And they begged Jesus to depart from their region. As he was sitting into, as he was getting into the boat, Jesus, the man who had been possessed with demons, begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And when he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Again, take a moment and stop and put yourself into the shoes of this man. Jesus has done what no one, no other person was able to do. He had longed for someone to come along to free him. All and all that they could do was restrain him. He wanted help, but nobody could help him. How would you feel? if this was you and you were in his shoes. Could you help him? I could not help him. I am not God, nor are you. But he came in contact with God, the creator. You see, just as the disciples had great fear when Jesus calmed the sea, the town people Likewise, in great fear of what they had just witnessed. But see, the man, he was so grateful. He had come face to face with God. He could do what no one else could do. Just as the disciples understood that no one could control the weather and the sea, this man understood that no one but God could relieve him of the torment and the pain that he was in. Jesus told him, go home. Be restored to, his, to your friends and your family and to your loved ones. Can you imagine the rejoicing that took place as he went home? Imagine the families believed that they would never, ever have him a part of their family again because no one could rescue him. They were so excited, I imagine, to have him restored to go home. In a similar story of gratefulness is in Luke 7, 36 through 50. It is Jesus, he's sitting in the home of one of the Pharisees. And a woman of the city began to anoint his feet 
with ointment. She begins wiping his feet with her tears and kissing them. Jesus says to Simon, I have something to say to you. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled their debts of both. Now which one of them loved him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, whom had canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has, wiped, she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kisses, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Again, put yourself in this man's shoes. He loves greatly because God has done what no one else could do. He has now found peace. He is so excited. He is so relieved of what God has done for him. You see, the man who was once at one time demon-possessed has experienced forgiveness and mercy of God. And he is now eternally grateful as he understood his plight before God. Stepped off the boat. He understood what his future was going to be like. But God stepped on the land. Stephen F. Orphan tells the story of Peter Miller, a pastor living in Pennsylvania during the Revolutionary War. Although Miller was greatly loved by almost everyone in his community, there was one man who lived near the church who hated him and, ha and earned a an reputation for his, um, his abuse of the minister. This man, Michael Whitman, was discovered to be a, a traitor, and he was convicted of treason and sentenced to death. The trial was con uh, conducted in Philadelphia, and, and no sooner did Miller hear of it than he set afoot to visit George, uh, General George Washington to intercede for the man's life. But Washington declined his appeal with these words. I am sorry that I cannot grant your request for your friend. At which point, uh, Pastor Miller cried out, 
Friend, why this man is the, most, is the worst enemy I have in this world. General Washington was greatly uh, taken aback and responded, What? You have walked 60 miles to save this life of your enemy? That puts the matter in a different light. Washington wrote, Washington wrote out the pardon for Whitman for the sake of Miller's magnanimous request and handed it to Miller himself to deliver it. Miller then ran 15 miles to where the execution was scheduled to take place. He arrived just in time as Whitman was being carried to the scaffold. When the prisoner saw Miller hurrying towards him, he remarked, there is old Peter Miller. He has walked all the way from Ephrata to have his revenge gratified today by seeing me hung. But scarcely had he spoken the words when Miller forced his way through the crowd of onlookers and, and to the condemned man and handed him the pardon that would save his life. Michael Whitman returned to Ephrata no longer as an enemy of Peter Miller, but as a long-life friend. You see, the demons that was in this man were an enemy of Jesus. But the man who was freed was a long-life friend. He was grateful for what Jesus had done for him. He rejoiced. That is why he went to the Capulus and began sharing the truth of what Jesus had done for him. Relieved because he had no relief before. How do you see Jesus today? Do you see him as God who calms the sea and frees a man who is demon possessed? Or do you just see him as a good teacher, a good man. A man who wrote or spoke of things that we should do. We should be kind to people. How do you see Jesus today? Do you see Jesus as the only hope that you have for your situation? I do not know your situation today, but he does. He is your hope. He is your only hope. But do you know that? I want to encourage you, if you do not know him today, that you would submit your life to him, that you would live for him, that you would tell him your plight, that you too will run to him and fall at the foot of the cross. Because your hope and solution is at the foot of the cross. You see, Jesus died on the cross for you in your situation to free you 
from the thing that torments you, to give you hope. He is, he is your only hope. I pray that you see that today and that you would live for him. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the truth of your word. I pray today that we would see you and who you are. That we too will go away rejoicing because of what you have done in our hearts, in our lives. There is nothing impossible for you. As you have calmed the sea, you have calmed the hearts of this man. Where no one else could do that. May we see you in all your glory today. May we see you in all your power today. May we submit our lives to you and live for you. For those who do not know you today, Father, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that they would know you, that they would call out to you, that they would submit themselves to you. We thank you for the free gift of salvation that comes through your son who was willing to sacrifice his life that we could have a relationship with you, the Father. May we understand that your son is the only means to which we can have a relationship with you. May we understand that truth today. In Christ's name, amen.